This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. And I'm John Sextro. Welcome back to Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about a brand new principle. Last time we promised you we'd be talking about uh, about principle 1.10. We're going to delay that. We'll still talk about principle 1.10, but we're going to do a, a quick aside and talk about this new principle that Ray just released. And he announced it on, I think, LinkedIn and Twitter and probably other social media platforms as well, right? Micah, you you saw this one first, I think. Yep. And uh, yeah, he references it in Twitter, but the uh, actual article is, yeah, on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. Valio seems to like to use LinkedIn and it's easier to write long form things. He's done He's done quite a bit of long form writing out there on LinkedIn. So if you're not following him on LinkedIn, that's a, a good thing to maybe go out there and do. Okay. so. Micah, the new principle that we have says to have both the money you need and the job you want, you have to be creative and flexible. Um, This seems to add on or or build on, I guess, some of the things that Dahlia has said previously. I think he even in his article on LinkedIn, he talks about this as almost an evolution of uh, some previous principles that he's done and talking about like things like the best life possible, etc. cetera. Uh, but he goes on to have another quote, Micah, that says, it's a simple fact of life that to have the best life possible, you need both enough money to pay for what you need and wonderful work that fulfills you. And that to get these things, you need to give others what they need, which I guess is, you know, Selling something, having a job, etc. Right. So it seems like Dalio's um, thinking around best life possible is evolving because I think the a previous statement was very much just you know follow your dream and do what do what's going to make you happy uh, and and squeeze the most out of life that way. Right. Yeah. I don't know if this actually counts as evolving. Um... Because certainly he talked about being realistic, you know, having realistic goals, right? Um, he said, you know, he didn't want to squash dreams, but he also said you've got to be realistic because, look, if you're not realistic, if a goal is not realistic, you can't achieve it. Um, and, yeah, you know, we've talked about that before in earlier episodes. So I don't know if I count this as a evolve, evolving of Ray's view, um, but perhaps it is. You might be able to convince me otherwise. Well, I I don't I'm not going to try to do that. I just was thinking that he's refining his thinking. He's clarifying something that he said previously or he's adding on to something that he said previously to try to maybe make it more 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 direct, more pointed right. r- rather than vague. 
Yeah. Well, because I do think where we talked about this or where Ray talked about this in the book was in his autobiography portion of the book. Um, I think maybe chapter eight, possibly. Um, I'm just going off of memory right now. But um, and so I think maybe you're right as far as now he's wanting to take some comments that he made just, you know, in paragraph form and distill them down into a succinct principle, you know, and definitely something that's more shareable and, you know, something that you can kind of base some actions on. I like that this is, I want, and I wonder what maybe triggered this in his mind, but I'm hopeful that, and I know there was even a second principle that he recently also released, which we'll, we'll find time to talk about on the podcast in the future in a few future episodes, probably. But I, I like that maybe he's going to, as, as he has experiences or as he thinks more deeply about some of the principles, how he's going to come back and share new ones. So I'm very excited just about that fact. Um, did, did you think that this helped with clarifying at all his definition of best life possible? Um, I guess for me, well, I think there's still some ambiguity in here. So I, I think what I would like to do today is, uh, or in this podcast or this episode, uh, is maybe try and clarify his principle a little bit, um, discuss some of the terminology and just kind of point out a couple of ways you might interpret it and then say, I think the way we ought to go as far as interpreting him. And then, so clarifying his view, uh, his new principle. Um, and then let's, I want, I thought we might want to just give an explanation of it in context of other things Ray has said. So especially if you're a new listener, if you haven't really heard of Ray before, if you haven't read his book, but you just saw this principle show up on LinkedIn, for example, if that's how you got here, um, hopefully provide some context as to some other views of Ray's that would help kind of inform our understanding of this principle, help us see why he's getting to this, how he came up with this principle. Uh, and then we might look at some possible objections, maybe some concerns you or I or some other people might have about the principle, um, whether it's a, you might say a true principle or not. And then we'll get into some other things too, but that's kind of my thought for where it'd go. So let's, so let's start with um, clarification. We started there a little bit. Is this clarifying or is it making this more ambiguous, the idea of best life possible? Yeah. So if, at least when I read this, um, to me, there's an ambiguity when you say best life possible. Um, and so I think someone who hears this principle just out of the blue, doesn't have any context of you know Ray, um, his other thinking, when you say best life possible, you might think, what's the best life you could imagine for yourself, right? right? If uh, you're just daydreaming about uh, how awesome would I like my life to be, right? If my, my life was as awesome as I would want it to be, what would it look like? And right. In that case, you're not taking into consideration, well, you know, what's my what's my financial standing in the world, right? How much money do I have? What are my capabilities? What types of things can I actually do uh, in the real world? But you're just thinking about in the best of all worlds, what would it look like? And so when you hear best life possible, I think that's what some people would understandably kind of interpret him to be talking about. Um, but I think we can make a distinction here between what's called a logical possible world or a logical best possible life. Um, or sorry, let's say a best life that's logically possible. Um, 
And then there's a different kind of possibility in what you might say practically possible. Um, given your actual circumstances, given the way the world actually is, given um, your particular place in it uh, and your capabilities and so on, what's the best life given those constraints that you can have? And that's definitely what Dalio is talking about. He, he often is talking about higher level thinking and looking at uh, your constraints and looking to nature to figure out, you know, what, what you can do, what you can't do, et cetera. So it's, we feel like it's really practical what he's saying, what is practically possible. Right. Yeah. So I definitely think that's the correct way to interpret him here. And um, I think one concern though, that might follow from this is, you know, if you came into this thinking, Oh wait, he's telling us about the best logically possible life or right. The best life imaginable. And you realize now, Oh wait, he's just talking about what's practically possible. You might say, well, this principle of his, you know, that, most anyone can have it doesn't sound all that interesting, right? You might say, well, my life is already probably as best as it can be practically possible, right? If, if I thought I could be living a better life elsewhere or somehow else, I'd be living it, right? I'm already doing the best life or living the best life practically possible. So thanks a lot, Ray, for not much. Um, but that's where I think what Ray's going to point to here is that no, there's actually some things that we can do or you can do, I can do that if we're, as he's going to say, creative and if we're flexible, what is practically possible for us is probably much more than we realize. And so in part, what I think he's saying is if you are currently dissatisfied with your job or you're currently dissatisfied with the amount of money you make, um, and to be clear here, when we talk about being dissatisfied with the amount of money you make, if you don't think you make enough money for your needs, Ray is going to say there's most likely a way out. There's probably a way that you can get a job that you want that does pay you enough. Um, yes, if you're creative and flexible. Right. And, and I think part of that flexibility needs to include uh, being patient flexible and patient and so including uh, patient and the flexibility i i feel a little i feel a little dirty talking about money in the context of of um of this principle i guess because i i want to like the i i deeply want to not worry about money when it comes to having what i want and doing what is doing what is important to me or or what I think is the most important thing or is going to be the thing that gives me the best life possible. And then, you know, the realist in me comes in and says, you can't do any of those things if you don't have any money, you know, but I go back and forth in my mind because I'm like, I, I often tell young people that, that are about to embark on a career or they're going into college. I tell them things like, don't focus on the money, focus on, what you love and what you're passionate about and the money will come later. Now I feel like maybe I've been giving, maybe I've been giving bad advice. Do you think I've been giving bad advice? Yes. No, I, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there is, and I think we'll probably maybe discuss this a little bit later in the podcast, but um, Ray does talk about, you know, he has a concern about young people when they decide on a career 
and maybe this is what you're thinking about, you know, why you're kind of um, reevaluating your advice. Um, but he says, you know, a lot of young people don't realize the amount of money they will need as they get older. Um, and as a parent of three kids now, I definitely see that, you know, uh, I sometimes look at our expenses and I'm like, I remember when we, you know, speaking of my wife and I, you know, I remember when we were in grad school and how little we could get by on. And I look at what our expenses are now and I, and I don't feel like we're being frivolous, the right word. You know, I don't feel like we're spending excessively by any means. And I'm like, how are we making so much more money than we were in grad school? And yet it doesn't feel substantially different. Right. Right. Um, but we've got kids and, you know, we're being a little more responsible as far as like saving, which, you know, when you're in grad school, you don't really have any money to be saving. Sure. Um, well, then that's what I think was maybe a little bit dangerous about this statement, the money that you need, because need, you can really define people can, can interpret need to mean a lot of things. Like if I go back and look at what, what I'm spending money on as a family throughout the month, there are lots of things we spend money on that my wife and kids and I would say we absolutely need. But if you, if someone like really um, as a third person really sort of objectively looked at all of the things that we spend money on, they'd go, you don't need this and you don't need that and you don't need that. So need and want, there's a really fine line between need and want. And the more things you need, the more things that you fit into the category of need, the more complicated this all becomes. You're, you're pointing it to it right now. When you were in grad school, the things that you needed were much simpler. You know, food, housing, clothing, pay your tuition. Now right. it's like a, a, this complex web of hundreds of things. Right. Daycare and kids' activities and saving for their education and right, saving for our retirement and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, back to your concern about telling kids, you know, don't worry about money, just pursue your passion. I mean, I think one thing that could be, um, I think Ray might say is problematic about that, um, is don't construe passion too narrowly. Don't think that, like, I can only have one true passion in life, and so that's what I have to go after. Um, one, I think he's going to say, whatever it is you're passionate about, there can be maybe various avenues to pursue that passion or to live out that passion. Um, I also want to come back to that later because there's some research and some discussion about the nature of passion and its role um, in our jobs and so on, but don't want to go on that rabbit trail yet. Okay. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, maybe Ray would say, well, look, you do need money, right? Uh, and you've talked about starving artists in the show notes. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. But don't steal my starving artist quote. So as far as the concern about um, giving them bad advice, I think Ray's going to, you know, he's got this example, you know, from the LinkedIn article that, you know, someone who, so it could be that you may have a passion. And if you were to narrowly focus on one specific way of living out that passion, you might get, you might put yourself into a situation where you're constantly struggling to have enough money. Um, and the reality is there very well may be another type of activity, another type of job that still is very much in line with that passion. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not ideal. Um, this is the whole flexibility part. 
but yet you can still have enough money, right? You're not going to live a life where you're constantly struggling. Um, and so right then you would, you could, then you could step back and ask, well, is my le- is my life better off overall where I have this life that I'm a hundred percent passionate about this job? I'm a hundred percent passionate about, but I only have, you know, 80% of the money I actually need. And so I have all of these struggles or is my life better off if I have this job that I'm 90% passionate about and yet I have at least a hundred percent of the money I need, right? Which is the better life. Um, That's the part that I think I could talk about for hours is that fine point between it's, it's the thing I'm a hundred percent passionate about, but I struggle on the side of, making ends meet versus having enough money to make ends meet and not pursuing the thing that I'm absolutely passionate about. And that's the compromise here. That's the flexibility and the creative thing is if you're a painter and you, you love like painting murals on buildings, that's, there's not a lot of money in that, but you can, you know, you're equally, you're, you're certainly going to be skilled enough to, you know, maybe paint offices or paint homes or uh, maybe do mural paintings for people in their homes as a service and make, make money. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you're going to compromise there some. And that's, again, the creativity and the, and the flexibility is to find some, some sort of a compromise that I guess you can live with in your mind, do and have some passion for at an 80 or 90% level, but have, have enough to live on to meet your needs. Right. And and I think ultimately this brings us back to this question, right? When we're when we're evaluating this, you know, what is it we're ultimately seeking in life? And um you know, I think a lot of people say ultimately they want happiness. Right. Um and again, we've talked about in previous episodes um the various views one might have about which what makes one happy. And uh we can also talk about whether happiness should be the primary goal in our life. Um, but those concerns aside, um, I think for a lot of people, one of the components of happiness is living in a way that you're passionate about. Um, and so I think that is probably your concern is, well, can I really live the happiest life possible if I'm not pursuing a job that I'm a hundred percent passionate for? Um, those are questions. Yeah. And, and I think that I'm a little bit concerned about, and maybe I'm just the, an old geezer and that all old geezers sort of feel this way. I don't know about old, John. I'm older. I'm older than you. I mean, geezer maybe, but old that. <laughs> just geezer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you just be a geezer? Actually, I don't know. It's another philosophical question. Well, if you can't, if you can't be, then old seems redundant. It's a good point. As a geezer, um, I wonder if I'm, you know, I'm seeing that, that maybe there's, there's just no appetite or no room for the, the struggle and the struggle of, of the passion. You know, and I, like you mentioned earlier, I was talking about, or I had put a note in, in here to talk about starving artists. And, uh, there's something about the starving that makes the artist, you know, that's, I think is the, the common thinking there's a, there's this, um, I've heard it referred to as a myth that comedians have that comedians can't be funny if they like fix all of their psychological problems (laughs) because it'll take their edge off or that, you know, if they deal with 
how their how their mother beat them when they were a kid. You know, they'll never be funny again because because that was the thing. That mm. was like their their inspiration and their motivation was the fact that their mother beat them. And so if you if you take that away, their edge is gone and they can't write comedy anymore. And 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 then comedians say, That's not true. You're just, you know, if you weren't funny, the fact that your mother beat you wouldn't make it wouldn't make you funny. So but I still think I don't know. I feel like there's something there. Like there's the starving part of artist is, is somehow motivating. And, and Ray talks about using that struggle as motivation for the passion. So I feel like this is maybe a little bit of a, of just a stepping away from that. What, what I thought was a strongly held belief of Dalio's was that you have to, you have to struggle somewhat. Um, and that by struggling you improve and but I guess if you I guess if the problem is that just nobody is going to pay you to be a building mural artist painter and that's the thing you're passionate about. There's no amount there's no amount of getting good at it or marketing for it. It's like it's not a people don't want to buy it. So if that's the thing that you're passionate about, you've got to be creative and flexible. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think one, you know, he's going to say, even though you can have the best life possible and, um, right, you can have something that you're passionate about, a job that you're passionate about and have enough money, you know, he doesn't think that's going to remove struggle. So, one, right, as you pointed out, he's going to say there's a struggle in being able to figure out what that is. Um, right. So it's not like he thinks there's some quick, immediate, um, resolution to this that automatically you're going to just figure it out and you have, the best life possible, right? There is some struggling to figure that out. Um, struggling about how, you know, in what ways do you need to be flexible and which ways you need to be creative to make that achievable. And even then, right. Uh, there's still struggle in whatever job you pursue. He's going to say, you know, as long as you're trying to improve yourself in that job, there's a lot of struggle you'll have in that case. Right. Um, so it doesn't remove struggle from life, but I guess you there is still the question of as far as artists go, if they have enough money, is that gonna make them less good of an artist, right? I hope is some of that hunger necessary. We operate the podcast on the value for value model. We're entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, visit our website at daliosprinciples.fireside.fm slash donate. You can also help us grow by promoting us on social media. So get out there and tell all of your friends about the podcast and help us spread the word. And now back to the show. And maybe, it, you know, Tying it back to that comedian myth, maybe you can say that the the hunger, the starving part of it is not necessary. I don't know. I've never been one. Um, but I, I'm, I want to go back to my, my advice that I give to young people for a second about start with the thing that you're passionate about. I still think that that's the best advice for a young person because they don't know. And they've, you, you know, when, when you're living with your parents and you've been going and getting your higher education, you, you'd, I don't know how much you've truly struggled now. 
I'm saying this from like a, a I'm overgeneralizing, right? I know there are tons of people that struggle like crazy and nothing is given to them and that they, they have to fight tooth and nail for everything that they gain. But I, I think that you, when you start off, if you're going to, you're going to start off your career or your pursuit of your passion, that you should go at it 100% and figure out from there, okay, can I, can I make a living of this? So I, I, I gave some advice to a guy that was a really good musician and to his dad. And I said, don't worry about where the money's going to come from. The guy's a great musician. He may never be in a rock band or famous or whatever, but you know, go a hundred percent at being a great musician and you'll be able to fill in the blanks. So if, if he can't be in, you know, the New York Philharmonic or some famous musician, otherwise he'll find a way he'll, uh, he'll be able, he'll have the opportunity then to be creative and flexible. But I think you should still start off going 100% tilt, full tilt at the thing that you're passionate about. Yeah. I guess I'd have some reservation in, um, well, there's a couple things I was saying. So one, um, did you listen to them sing before you gave that advice? No, I, I listened to, I, I've heard the person playing instruments. Okay. Very, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Right. It's so not I'm, a singer. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. Artist. Um, cause I'm just thinking there are some people, right? If you listen to them, uh, and let's say it's a singer, just keep it simple for me. <laughs> Suppose you listen to them like they're terrible, right? If you listen to me sing, for example, right? I'm terrible. Uh, and suppose I told you, but my passion is singing, right? And so then you told me, well, pursue your passion, Micah, right? It'll work out. It's not going to work out for me, right? So I do think... <laughs> you still have to face reality. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's why I would be concerned about some kind of like blanket advice. Well, I hear what you're saying, Micah, but I still think that it, you, we need to be careful. I need to be careful or, or people should be careful. Of course, always about the advice that they give. But trying to limit people's dreams, because even if I told you and had heard you sing and said, boy, you're a terrible singer. I mean, yeah, you may never be a great singer, but I would, I wouldn't give you advice at that point that would cause you to rethink your entire philosophy or your entirely what you're passionate about. I would, I need to be honest with you when I'm, when I would be giving you some advice or feedback and say, you know, you, you have a long way to go with your voice capabilities and your voice skills. Um, have you thought about other related things that are also in the musical field that you could be passionate about? Like, can you play the xylophone or the drums or something like, is there, is there something else? Because it might be a hard road if you're going to try and be a singer. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think too, it speaks to, there's a question about how, um, you might say malleable or are our desires or how changeable are our desires or our passions. Um, so Adam Grant, I know I've mentioned him here before, but he's a, um, organizational psychologist. Uh, he's a Penn university professor. Um, I think the Wharton school of business, and he's got a, a really good podcast, um, called work life. Um, and one of the things he says, and you know, he's citing research here that, um, it can actually be bad. You know, according to the research, he, he says, you know, it can be bad to, tell people to pursue their passion, especially at a younger age, because your passions change. And one of the things he points out is what we are passionate about is often determined by what we're good at. 
And so um, he thinks maybe a better strategy is to identify what you're good at. And then you'll find that you are passionate about that. Um, and so one of the things too is that you're right. I think that speaks to, in other words, so one of the concerns if you focus on what you're currently passionate about, right? Especially think of someone younger. If they focus on what they're currently passionate about, they're close, closing themselves off to some degree from consideration um, or also you might say experimentation in finding things that they are good at, right? They might find out that they're actually really better at some other things. And if they develop that skill, they would actually be even more passionate about that other skill or um, topic or subject matter. Um, that's fair. I think that's, I think that's reasonable advice as well. Uh, so it, it, and it, I think it fits with things that, that Dalio has said, and we've talked about previously on the podcast is that, you know, you, you, you want to use your talents well and, and capitalize your talents and that it's really hard to, it's really hard to pursue a passion that you have no skill for. You have to be realistic. So I think that's, I'd say that's good advice. But what about like um, deciding, you know, I I mentioned a little bit, Mike, I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about this, but the whole idea of needs and what you really need uh, and, and compromising on some of your needs. I mean, I think that there can be some flexibility there and I'm not sure it's made clear here in, in what Ray writes and in the principle that some of that flexibility and some of that creativity can be in the need department. Yeah. So one is, I think I could see people who, you know, especially who have not read the principles yet, aren't familiar with a lot of Ray's thinking. Um, and they hear this billionaire, right. Talk about how much money you need. And they might think, Oh, well, he probably thinks I need a lot of money. Right. But interestingly, you know, in his autobiography, the portion of principles and, you know, elsewhere, he talks about how, you know, there's really not a, you don't need a whole lot of money. Now, I don't know if he ever puts a number on this, but I do know studies out there indicate that once you make about 70,000, 75,000, and of course, this is going to be relative to, you know, where you live, um, you know, here in St. Louis, we would need less than, you know, someone, on the coast, right here in flyover country, it's a little less cost of living is less. Um, but you know, once you make that much money, 70,000 or so, um, any additional financial gain is marginally improving your life, improving your happiness, improving your happiness. Yes. According to the study. Right. Um, of course I always have questions about how are we measuring happiness? happiness. Um, so there's concerns there, but, yeah. Um, Ray himself has talked about, you know, you don't need a whole lot of money. In fact, the more money you have, uh, more money, more problems. Exactly. Uh, That's what I was saying before <laughs> is it just complicates things. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the point is here, when you read this principle, know that Ray is not saying the money amount, you, the amount of money that you need isn't going to be like $300,000 a year or something. Um, so. He's not saying, hey, for any passion you have, you're going to be able to figure out a way to make 300000 I think he's going to say, for whatever passion you have, you're going to be able to find... If you're creative creative and flexible, you're going to be able to find something that gets you, I don't know, let's say in the 70000 or the $80,000 range. Um, and so I think that's just something to take into consideration. 
um, as you're evaluating whether you think this is a true principle or not. Yeah, and I, I think you you keep going back in this case, Micah. You going back to the line of thinking that that Dalio was on in the in the LinkedIn article, which was very much that that flexibility and creativity is in the job that you can get. And what what I'm trying to be insistent about here is that you should also consider compromising on the things that are needs. Now, if maybe the approach here is that you've already done that and need is really a need and, and it, it's, you got rid of the cell phone, you got rid of uh, premium television or other premium services. You're not eating out six, seven nights a week. You live in, you know, you're living in a, in a reasonable uh, domicile of some sort. You, you know, you've got a, a low cost, low cost housing, whatever. So you've, that you've really done the work to, to limit the needs. And, and sometimes that factors into like decisions that you make about families and such. Yeah. You might decide decisions about like where you live in relation to the rest of your family or. Well, it's just having a family because obviously there's, there's extra cost involved with that. You mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. And, and so you know, there's maybe there's a, a bit of a monastic lifestyle consideration that people need to make where it's like, well, if I'm going to be the, if I'm going to be the best building mural painting person that I need to sacrifice, you know, I need, my, I need to compromise on starting a family. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think those are considerations. And, um, but I, I, I just wanted to point out that I don't think he touches upon that in the LinkedIn article and, it's more focused on being creative about jobs and flexible about jobs that you take. Yeah. He doesn't talk about the being flexible with how much money you need. Um, now I do think you know, he points out that he's not talking about excessive luxury, I, you know, or he briefly touches on that somehow or some way. <laughs> um, but you know, I think one of the things, you know, I think about So when I taught philosophy and, uh, we went through Plato's Republic, Plato, um, through his, character Socrates, you know, in the book, he had us consider two cities and one had just the bare necessities, like absolute bare necessities, right? Think about this is 2,500 years ago. And then so really bare necessities, <laughs> very, very necessities. Right. So, and the, he had us, yeah, one city as bare necessities, which he called the healthy city. And then there's what he called the feverish or like excited city that had more luxuries. And when he was talking about luxuries, he was talking about a couch, right? Um, Hell yeah, you don't need a couch. <laughs> Steve Jobs didn't have a couch in his home, for, not for a long time, at least according to what I've read about him. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you'd been over to his house or something. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but he talked about, you know, perfumes were in the luxury city or um, cakes, I think it was. Certain kinds of desserts that we would just to think is like standard fare. Socrates argued for the healthy city being the true city. And then we have this fever city where we have things, more things that we need. So one of the things that made me think about is this relativity of what we think we need, right? Someone who lived back then would have said, Oh yeah, I need couches and I need, you know, to be happy. And if I had those, I would be happy. But you think about now, right? Most of us are, we have multiple couches in our house or, you know, um, definitely multiple comfortable chairs and you know what we quote unquote need 
to be happy is, well, I need ESPN, right? Or I need a smartphone. I need, and the reality is, if that's true needs, then we would be saying that the majority of the population before us was incapable of experiencing a good life, right? And so I think that makes me reconsider, well, how much do I really need? Um, good, because that's, that's what I want people to do when they, when they listen to this is before they really are willing to compromise on or be flexible about what they're passionate about, to start with trying to narrow in on what they really need and just really evaluate it. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's maybe one of your concerns with the principle, just, or at least his explanation of the principle that he didn't kind of emphasize that enough. Um, I think for me, one of the maybe concerns or objections people might raise to this principle, you know, one of the things he says, um, well, so one he says, right, to have both the money you need and the job you want, you have to be creative and flexible. Um, so some people I think might take this as a, you know, when I think of philosophy, a lot of times I'm thinking, okay, what are universal principles? What are some statements that are true for everybody? And Uni- so unifying theories. Right. Um, and certainly I realize that's not the case in philosophy. There's you know, a lot of things that are only true in a particular context and so on. But, I think philosophy in a lot of ways is after those really broad, generally true, right? Yeah. Universally true principles. And so you read this principle and you might say, now is this true for everybody, right? Because the implication might be that, well, anybody can have both the money they need and the job they want. And right, one of the things Ray says in his explanation of the article, um, he says, I have found that most people can find, right? Most people can find careers that provide both good job satisfaction and good money in order to have a good life if they're clever enough and not overly particular. And right. So he's saying he's found most people. And I'm wondering, well, does he have a biased sample? Um, right. Think about the circles he runs in a lot of wealthier people and so on. The more money you have, the, better position you are in to be flexible, right? Because if you've saved up a lot of money, you might be able to take a financial hit to do something that you really like doing. Um, it also puts you in better circles, maybe to make more connections, to make um, possible types of jobs that provide enough money. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, there's a concern about how much does this principle really apply to most people? Um and especially right if you think about the larger world, what percentage of the population really can live, perform a job, you know, have a job that they are satisfied with and have enough money? Um, and I think the answer to that, so one, what I would love, right, is some kind of research, <laughs> some kind of study about, you know, here's the number of people and here's how many of them have been able to find job of so it couldn't just be it doesn't have to just be okay here's the number of people and here's how the majority of them do have jobs that they are satisfied with and have enough money um the research would actually have to be here are the people who have been creative and flexible and here's how many of them have found jobs that pay enough and they're satisfied with and here's the number of people who still weren't able to get either enough money or a satisfying job. Right. That's, that's the data I would like yeah. you know, for me to really buy into this principle. And so I think, you know, if I were Ray, I think I would want to 
kind of restrict my principle a little bit and say something about, well, for people who are in this situation, they are very likely to be able to find a job that they are happy with and that provides enough money. I would love to see that study too. I think, and just to wrap up on this, I think that what happens is for the vast majority of people, they've gotten comfortable in a job, a career that they're, they're not entirely passionate about, but that they've been flexible and creative and finding and that they've done so in a way that either tangentially relates to what they're passionate about or that at least offers them a significant amount of free time, enough free time for them to pursue the thing that they're really passionate about, but that there are very, it's, it's, it's a much more rarefied set of people that are truly pursuing their passion and making a living from it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, one thing I've had just mentioned here, you know, I've talked about how before I was, you know, I got my PhD in philosophy and I quickly realized I wasn't going to find a full-time job. Um, and so the question for me at the time was, okay, well, what's a job I can get a, you know, what's a career I can get a job in that I don't have to go back to school for. Cause I've just been in school for ever. And, um, you know, so that in that case, right. It created, I had to be flexible with what I wanted to do. Sure. I love discussing philosophy and the big ideas. Um, and if I said, look, that's the only thing I can do and be happy, I would have been stuck adjuncting, making $3,000 a course. And so there's a, one thing I like on Twitter, there's a, there's a company, um, it's for profit, but it's from people who are PhD students and got their PhD, but they are trying to help people who are either PhD students or have their PhD and are trying to maneuver out of academia and find a job in the business world. Um, And what I like about that is it helps people be aware of, okay, there's a lot of people like me who haven't been able to get a job in academia just because the job market is so terrible. Um, But you you have to be willing to be flexible and say, okay, I'm not going to require an academic position, but are there other avenues in which I can pursue? my passion or something that's in that arena of my passion. Um, and so that's called uh, it's a company called beyond the professoriate. Um, that company itself was probably someone from education deciding, Hey, th- I'm going to be passionate about this, but I'm, I can't be in education, but I, I want to help people transition. And so they created a passion right. job. Yeah. And so I think that's one you know, key there, right? You pointed out. So maybe they, I think one of them had maybe a history degree and maybe the one to help kids, or students understand history better. Well, you know, part of that passion was wanting to help. And so, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to be helpful with history, but I'm going to help people find good jobs, right? And so they still have an aspect of their passion and they get to do that. And hopefully they're making enough money. I don't know. Well, lots of, lots of uh, questions asked and things to be thought of. So we'll, we'll be back next time to uh, dive back into the book and talk more about Dalio's principles. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals 